You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Total Onslaught, Episode 35, with Walter Feit. Well, this lecture is titled History's Coming Climax because that's exactly what it's all about. After we've seen all the terrible things that are happening on this earth and how two camps arise and how eventually the two camps will clash, and the one is so obviously in the great minority that it has absolutely no chance whatsoever. And therefore, the only thing that it has is faith. Remember Revelation 18, verses 1 to 4, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, it's become a habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird, and the story that all the nations have drunk of the wine of her fornication, that the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Revelation 18, 1-4. So just before the final events on this planet, there is a call out of the entire Babylonian system, which we have talked about in these lectures. And then the end will come. Isaiah chapter 24 verse 5 says, The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. That's what they've done. We've seen how they've done it. We see how the law was changed. How Catholicism says it's above the Bible, doesn't care, will change the law, and that their clash will come between those that keep the commandments and those that don't. Revelation 22, verses 11 and 12, and these chapters that we're dealing with now, these two lectures, will be dealing with the last chapters of Revelation. But they will be filled in with many texts from the Bible to show a whole picture. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So God is judging mankind. And sooner or later a decree goes up which says it is done. So far and no further. Those who've made a decision for righteousness are covered. Those who've made a decision for unrighteousness, they have made an eternal decision. The time of probation comes to an end. Let's have a look at the typology of Egypt, which tells us something of what will happen towards the end. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. Exodus 5, verse 5. This is an interesting verse. Pharaoh is rebuking Moses for making the people rest from their burdens. And the word rest there is the word Shabbat. So in other words, Pharaoh is saying, You are making the people Shabbat from their burdens, which means keep the Sabbath. You are making the people keep the Sabbath. And Pharaoh said, you will not keep the Sabbath. You will work. And he doubled their labors. And he said, no more straw for them. You gather it yourself. You will not Shabbat. What was God's answer? When Pharaoh made a law prohibiting God's people from keeping the Sabbath, what happened? the plagues came. And I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. Revelation 15.1 So obviously in this time, after these laws have been made, and after they have been decreed, 
plagues will come. In Egypt, a law was made preventing the people from keeping Sabbath. And when that law was made and implemented, the plagues came. There were ten then, because it was a typology. There are seven now. This is the last event. And this means that none of these plagues touch the people of God. And then will come the end of the world. So the question is, what will that end be like? What does the Bible teach? What does the world teach? We will see that what the world teaches is exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And it's a very strange phenomenon. Well, doom and destruction. And the question is, is there no hope? Well, yes, otherwise we couldn't smile. You see, Titus 2 verse 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the hope. That's the only hope we have. That is the solution to the problem. Now, what, it'll be, what will it be like when Jesus comes? You see, there are so many doctrines in the world out there, the people are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. If you go to Israel tonight, or today, and you go outside the Golden Gate, you will see all the graves standing over there, or lying over there, because they believe that when the Messiah comes back, he's going to enter in through the golden gate, the gate will open up, the dead will rise, and they will be the first with him in the city. Of course, that golden gate leads up to uh, the mosque where Muhammad is supposed to have gone to heaven, the dome of the rock. Well, the Jews are waiting for a Messiah, and everybody is talking about a millennium of peace. Have you heard about the millennium of peace? There is not one religious movement that does not preach that, except one, just one. So what happens when Jesus comes again? Remember the Bible speaks about four comings of Christ. The first one is as a babe, the first coming. He comes as a, as a child. As a virgin will be with child, all those texts in the Bible. The second one is, he comes to the Ancient of Days, Daniel 7.13. And I saw one like the Son of Man come with the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days. And Daniel watches this great scene in heaven while the little horn, Catholicism, is doing its thing down here on this earth. So Jesus is not coming to this earth at this stage. This is a change of activity in heaven. Jesus is going to receive power and honor and glory and uh, probation is going to come to an end and all these things. Then there is the coming in glory, the second coming. And then there is a final coming to restore the earth and to set up the kingdom. There are four comings in the Bible and you really have to take them apart carefully. The Jews totally ignored that one because they were waiting for this one. They even ignored that one. And they ignored that one. They were just waiting for the setting up of the kingdom. But you have to carefully pick them out and understand what is what in the Bible. It's not that simple. You can't just read it and say, well, everything about restoration, that's what's going to happen. But that's what the world does today. Isaiah chapter 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Which one did that apply to? Obviously the first coming when he came as a baby. But that one was ignored. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Matthew 1.23. So at the first coming, Jesus paid the price for sin. Did he get eradicate sin? No. Not that I've noticed. Have you read the newspapers? Watched television? No. He didn't come to get rid of it. He came to pay the price. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. 
Did the Jews recognize that text, yes or no? No. They looked over it. Why? Because they had an expectation that they wanted to fulfill, but they didn't want to accept the biblical interpretation. Now, why will he come again? John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. We should be able to say this off by heart. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. That's such a nice picture of God. I just love this picture of him. That he's so caring and he wants us to be where he is. So that's why he'll come again. He's coming to do what? So that we can be where he is also, to receive you to myself. So there's a receiving going on over there. And we need to know how he will come again, because the Bible says, beware, many false Christs are gone into the world. Doesn't it say so? So how will he come again? Well, these are the biblical criteria. The second coming will be universally visible. Universally visible. Does the Mormon church teach that? No. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Revelation 1.7. Every eye will see him. That means there's nobody who won't know that he's come. Uh... How does this text rhyme with a secret rapture? There's a problem there, isn't there? You can't have a secret rapture and every eye will see him because there's nothing secret about that. For as lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, 27. Anything secret about that? I don't think so. That's pretty visible. He will be universally visible when he comes. Now the Bible says he comes with the clouds. Now what does that mean? Does it mean he's coming when it's a rainy day? Who makes the clouds his chariot? Who walketh upon the wings of the wind? Psalms 104 verse 3. Now we have to do some Hebrew parallelism here. So the clouds are his chariots. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Psalm 68, 17. So what does Hebrew parallelism teach him? Jesus is going to come with the angels. So when he comes, he's going to come in glory with all his angels. And how many will see him? Every eye will see him as lightning from the east shines to the west. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Matthew 24, 30. You see the picture? So this means Jesus is coming with his angels. That's what it means. And when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 We have to have all the texts one after the other lined up so that we will not be fooled and that we will understand exactly what will happen when he comes. Matthew 25.31 And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory... And how many of the angels? All the angels with him. Then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. So when Jesus comes, all the angels are with him. How many remain in heaven? None. They're all coming to the earth. That is zillions upon zillions upon zillions of angels. Unbelievable sight. Wow, it's going to be something. And when he comes in his own glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What does that tell you? Can you imagine the glory of the Father 
Jesus is going to come with the glory of the Father. Now, if nobody can look upon God and live when he's sinful, what do you think this is going to do to people that have refused to give up sin? It's going to be a problem. And what about those who have been redeemed? What is their only hope of surviving the event? Jesus. To be covered by his righteousness is the only hope that there is. So he's going to come with the full glory of the Godhead and all the angels with him. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Revelation 5.11. It's going to be a spectacular event when Jesus comes. Acts 1 verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the way you have seen him going into heaven. So how was he taken up? Also with angels. They watched it. They saw him go up. And that same Jesus is going to come back. Not some ghost. The one who said, come, put your hands here and put them in my side and see that I'm real. This is a real Jesus who's coming back. So it'll be universally visible. The second coming will also be audible. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Everybody will hear it. And whoever's deaf, they'll hear it again. So, for those of you who have trouble with hearing, this you will hear. Even dead people will hear it. Melanco, don't worry, you'll hear it. <laughs> Second cunning will be audible. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other, Matthew 24, 31. So who's going to gather God's people? Is there anything secret or quiet about this? No. So it's going to be a very spectacular event, and all the elect will be gathered from all the corners. Now here's a very important criteria. He will not touch the earth. He will not touch the earth. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, so there's a resurrection of the dead, but it's the resurrection of those who are in Christ. They rise. Then we which are still alive, so the living that are in Christ at that time, remain, shall be caught up together with them, the dead that were in Christ and the living that are in Christ, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, which means who? the angels that have just gathered them all. And what are the angels going to do with them? To meet the Lord in the air. Ah, that's a rapture. But it's not a secret rapture. It's a very loud rapture. And so we shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. We must read the verses carefully. So when Jesus comes, Every eye will see him. He will not touch the ground. He will send his angels to gather the elect. The voice of God raises the righteous in Christ. Only then. And they're all gathered. And then the angels take them up and they meet the Lord in the air. He does not touch the earth. So when you hear that Jesus is here or there or in the inner room, what did Jesus say? Don't go. Don't bother. It's not me. Matthew 24, 26, 27. Therefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he's in the desert, do not go out. Behold, he's in the secret rooms, do not believe it. Pretty simple not to believe it if you know the truth, right? For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, 26, 27. It's very plain. The Bible makes no bones about it. Nobody should have to make a mistake on this. Now, this is another tricky one. What will take place at the second coming? 
what does the world teach? Everybody will be converted, everything will be honky-dory. The Bible hasn't said anything like that up to now. The resurrection of the righteous. That's one of the things that takes place when Jesus comes. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. The dead rise. Those in Christ. Revelation 25, 6 will tell us about the others. The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousandth years were finished. So when do the rest of the dead rise? Obviously a thousand years later. Is that what the text says, yes or no? Okay. So there are two resurrections. The one resurrection is the resurrection of the just. The other one will be a resurrection of the unrighteous. But between the two, how long? A thousand years. Is that what the world teaches out there? No. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That makes sense. Which resurrection, if you are dead, would you like to be in? Obviously the first one. The second one could be kind of problematic. So we want to be in the first resurrection. Revelation 25 and 6. Who is in the first resurrection? Those who are in Christ. Simple as that. So the righteous living, what happens to them? They're obviously not raised from the dead. They are still waiting. And we could be part of that group, you know that? What happens to them? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, 53, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, that's the same time when Jesus comes, for the trumpet shall sound, we've heard about that, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So there's a change. Everything that is mortal disappears. If you have fillings in your teeth, then watch out for anyone else, because they'll just shoot up, and you'll get a new set. Everything will be changed. And nothing will die anymore. That'll be fantastic. What happens else? Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, in case you thought we were so cool, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Wow, that is amazing. God will give us a body like his own. Amazing. This is incredible stuff. Matthew 13, 49 and 50. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth, sever the wicked from amongst the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So what does this mean? Matthew 13, 49, and 50. So the first thing that we see is there's a separation. And it doesn't seem to be too good to be on the bad side, right? It doesn't seem to be too good. So what happens to the wicked? Now this is a doctrine which is highly complicated and which we'll have to unravel. It'll take two lectures now to unravel it, but we'll do it all today, and then we'll see what happens. Well, the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. So there are two categories on this earth when Jesus comes. The one group, he's saying, this is our God, we have waited for him. The angels go, collect them, and what do they do with them? Take them up, and they meet the Lord in the air, and the others, what are they doing? They're running for their lives and hiding wherever they can. And who are they? Well, it looks like the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and all these people that are now saying they're going to be the winners. It looks like they're going to be in trouble. And said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Revelation 6, 15 and 17. So they'd rather have a mountain fall on them than face the Lord. That's pretty serious. You ever thought of that? Mountain rather than face the Lord? Well, what else happens to them? And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth rejoice because the Lord is going to restore this earth and there will be a millennium of peace forever and ever and no more troubles. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. Matthew 24, 30. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They're going to be happy. They're going to be very happy. Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of His holy ones to do what? Execute judgment upon all. And to convict all the ungodly of all their works of ungodliness, which they have ungodly wrought, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In this series, we have called it the total onslaughts. Against whom? Against Jesus. Have we looked at some of the ungodly things they have said about him? Well, there's a day of judgment coming for them. And they might think they are the winners, but this text says otherwise. Jews 14 and 15 says they're in trouble. They're going to be convicted. There's going to be a judgment. There's nothing to be happy about. There's no conversion here. There is a judgment, an executive judgment. The great day of the Lord is near, is near, and hasteth greatly even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, Zephaniah 1, 14 and 15. Who teaches this in the world? Have you ever heard this doctrine preached in the church? Never. Nobody preaches it. That's what the Bible says. All you have to do is read it. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 And then the lawless one, the one who changes the law of God, will be revealed. What happens to him? What happens to the one who dared to change God's law and says, I'm above the Bible, I can do it. Who cares? I can change the precepts of Christ. What happens to him? Let's see. Whom the Lord shall consume with the breath of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. This is tough. Tough medicine. Really tough. So he might have a loud mouth now, but he's not going to have a loud mouth for very long. Jeremiah 25.33 And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day, that's always pertaining to the second coming, whether you read it in the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's perfect harmony. From the slain at that day will be from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. They shall not be mourned, nor gathered, nor buried. They shall be as dung on the ground. Jeremiah 25, 33. Why will they not be gathered? There's nobody to gather them. Why will they not be buried? There's nobody to bury them. Where are those that could perhaps bury them? They're gone. And not secretly either. Is it biblical so far? I'm just reading the Bible. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and of the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked, and I will cut off man from off the land, says the Lord. Did the animals sin? Why is the Lord going to destroy all the animals as well? You see, the animals, through sin, are suffering. And the animals have become degraded and diseased. If you look into your paleontology, you will find that the animals were huge in the past. Everything was much, much bigger than today. I bet you no dog ever got hip displacement. I don't think animals suffered then as they suffer now. 
in his mercy, God is going to end this entire creation. So what is going to be left on this earth that's alive when Jesus comes? Nothing, except something, but I'll come to that in a moment. So everything is going to be destroyed. Does that sound like the story that is being preached in the world out there? No. Right, Psalms 110, the Lord is at your right hand and he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Psalms 110, 5 and 6. So what's going to happen to all these people that had such loud mouths against him? They're going to die. They're going to die. Jeremiah 4, 23 to 8. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heaven had fled. Is there harmony between the prophets, yes or no? <coughs> Absolutely. And I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and how many of the cities? All its cities were broken down, at the presence of the Lord, by his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end, for this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken, I have purposed, and I will not relent, nor will I turn back from it. So although everything is killed here, it's not over yet, there's still more to come. Lots of interesting things are going to happen, and we have to unravel it. So now, the secret rapture. Matthew 24, 38 to 42. As, for as in the days of the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. They will all be taken away, as we saw. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. This is the text that they used to substantiate the secret rapture. Where does it say one will be taken secretly and the other one will be left? Does it say that? No. All it says, one will be taken, one will be left. In other words, the righteous one, what will happen to him? Angels will gather him and take him what? To meet the Lord in the air. The unrighteous one, what happens to him? He just has to remain here and be dead. That's it. There's no secret rapture here. Is there any disharmony between this and what we've read? No. Dispensationalists claim that Antichrist will arise after the secret rapture. But the Bible clearly teaches that this power will arise from the church, not after the church. 1 John 2, 18 and 19, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So, if dispensationalism teaches that the Antichrist will come in the future and he will come not from the Christians but from another society that will persecute the Jews, that is what they claim, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. And in any case, the Antichrist doesn't come in the future. He arose, as we saw, in Roman times already. He comes out of the fourth beast. He comes out of Rome. So dispensationalism cannot be right. It cannot be because it's not biblical. But you know that the, virtually the entire Pentecostal world and the Baptist world teaches this. It's not biblical. There is no second chance gospel. The secret rapture teaches a second chance gospel. It teaches that those who are sinful will get another chance. And as it is appointed unto men once to die... But after this, the judgment. There's no second chance. Hebrews 9.27. You decide now or never. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him 
and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon, Isaiah 55, 7. There is no multiple choice here. The just and the wicked revealed at the same time. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Is there any second chance here, yes or no? No. So the secret rapture, is it biblical, yes or no? Decide from the text. There it is, very simple. The Bible cannot lie to itself. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn, Matthew 13 and 30, verse 13. Is that secret? Is that a secret rapture with a second chance? Yes or no? No. Everything happens when the Lord comes. So virtually the entire Protestant world is teaching a Jesuit doctrine. Alcazar and Ribera, futurism, preterism. Both started by Jesuits, both being taught in the Protestant world. It's not biblical. It's a lie, blatantly, to dupe people into not obeying the precepts of, word, of God. The secret rapture, God's people, those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, have to go through the tribulation. They are not raptured before it. Question. Were the Israelites raptured away when the plagues fell, yes or no? No. They were there and they saw a difference between them and the other. And then they were taken away and what happened to Pharaoh and his army? He was destroyed. That's a typology. It's a little enactment of a greater reality at the end of time. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have to go through the tribulation. They're not spared the tribulation. The secret rapture or the rapture theory teaches that Christians will be spared the tribulation, will be taken away. It's not biblical. They have to be here. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him. He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Two groups. The one wailing, the other one rejoicing. Isaiah 25, verse 9. So there is no secret rapture. There is a glorious coming of the Lord, and there is a destruction of the living wicked, the living dead. Uh, <laughs> stay dead. That's not actually a bad way to say it, right? Uh, the dead that died in sin stay dead. For how long? A thousand years. What are the signs of his coming? Well, you can read them in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. There will be war and distress of nations. There will be earthquakes as in the days of Noah. The gospel will be preached worldwide. There will be tribulation. There will be false Christs and there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Those were some of them. We've dealt with many of them in these lectures. And uh, these are the issues. Matthew 24, 2 and 3, And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you that there shall not be left here one stone on another that shall not be thrown down. That was a typology of what's going to happen to this earth. God is going to destroy it utterly. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the signs of your coming and of the end of the world. Matthew 24. So there was the temple, that's a replica of the temple, when uh, it was destroyed by Titus. They started by burning it. It was supposed to be preserved, but they shot burning arrows into it. They burnt like pitch. The gold melted and ran down and ran between the stones and after the fires were over, the soldiers turned over every single stone to gather the molten metals. Here is the menorah, an emblem of it on the Titus arch where the slaves are carrying it back to Rome. 
The great day of the Lord is near, it is near and hasteneth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly, it's the day of wrath, trouble, distress, wasteness, desolation, darkness, gloominess, clouds, thick darkness. It's not going to be a good day. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. Not a joyful time. Mark Luke 21, 25 and 26. Matthew 24, 7. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom and against kingdom. This is an interesting text. Isn't that a duplication? No, it's not. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The word nation there, in the original, is the word ethnos. Can you see it? Ethnic group against ethnic group. And then kingdom against kingdom. That's a defined border. Yes, there will be wars amongst nations, but within nations you will have ethnos against ethnos. Yeah, the Tutsis and the Hutus and the terrible conflagrations and the hatred that is being built up between races and between cultures and all these things, this will boil over in the last days. In Christ we must rise above these things. There is no black, no white no yellow, no nation, no nothing. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And only in Christ can it work. Amongst Lucifer's followers it cannot work. Even Edgar Hoover said, read, pray and weep as you consider America's dreadful spiritual plight. James 5 verse 3. Your gold and silver have corroded and their poison will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh as fire you heap treasures up in the last days. So there will be economic woes. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord. Economic woes, labor unrest, jobs in an age of insecurity, false Christs, false prophets, great signs, wonders. We've had whole lectures on it. Matreya's appearing, Marian visions, you name it. All the great religions posit the idea of further revelation to be given by a future teacher. Hello? The Bible doesn't posit that idea. Just all these great religions. But they're all teaching something contrary to the Bible. Christians hope for the return of the Christ. The Buddhists look for the coming of another Buddha. The Lord Maitreya, Muslims await the Iman Mahdi. The Hindus, the reincarnation of Krishna. And the Jews, the Messiah. They're all going to be in for a big surprise. Because none of that is going to materialize except in deception. But when the Lord comes, they will know it. 2 Timothy 3. And know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. We see all these things today without natural affection, truce breakers, accusers, continent. The list is just endless, heavy, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, form of godliness, denying the power thereof. Universal peace? No. Universal pistols. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Matthew 24, 10. That's the worst of it. Do you know that this gospel is going to be divisive? Can you see it? How divisive it's going to be? And how people will be defended? And how people will be betrayed and end up in jail? Cops out of control? You think you'll be safe when you're in jail? I don't think so. If God isn't with you, you're not safe. There was this massacre in Japan when they killed all those with gas. The earth shall be old like a garment. There will be economic woes. There will be ecological woes. Hurricanes, more storms. Great catastrophes. And in the middle, the irony, Jesus loves you. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Flock of sheep are made desolate. The Lord to see 
will I cry, for the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Great fires, the land, less milk, honey. This was Australia with the last El Nino. That's what it looked like. And the fires in California, and bad blood and AIDS. Let no one deceive himself. We are drifting towards a catastrophe, Walter Littman. A few additional signs. Increase in knowledge, increased demonic activity, departure from the faith, economic woes, rise in false teachers, increasing traffic and speed. I quite like that one. And disobedience and anarchy. But thou, o Daniel, shut up the words and seal up the book even to the time of the end, then knowledge shall be increased. The word of God will be made plain. There will be literal knowledge as well, which will increase, and that will help to spread the gospel. And there will be many unclean spirits and frogs and all these beasts and false prophets and all these strange things when the Lord comes. They are spirits of devils, working miracles. I like this one, Nahum 2 verse 4. The chariots shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against the other. In the broad ways they shall seem like torches. They shall run like the lightning. Did he see this? I don't think so. I think he saw something like this. Fast traffic. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws near. James 5, 7. And when these things come to pass, then look up and lift your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Luke 21, 28. The Lord is coming soon. And the greater details we will look at in a moment. Well, we have looked at the signs of the Lord's coming and we have seen that when these things begin to come to pass then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Luke 21, 28. And then we could say I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept my faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me when? At that day. So did Paul expect to receive his crown upon his death? No. He was expected to receive it at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. So the reward comes when? When the Lord comes. What does the world teach? Something totally different. They teach when you die, what happens to you? You go to heaven, and you have your reward. And then you have to come back when the Lord comes and jump back into your body. And then you've got to be resurrected. And then you've got to stand before God. It's all very confusing, isn't it? doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. So at that day you get your reward, not before. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked, and they shall see his shame. Revelation 16, 15. So some people won't even know that he's coming. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So this is often used, you know, for the secret story. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But notice this verse. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. So if you know your Bible, should you be caught unawares, yes or no? No. Shouldn't be a surprise. But those that are expecting wonderful things and a millennium of peace and all of these things, will they be surprised? Oh yeah, they're going to be surprised, very surprised. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son, John 5, 22. Papacy says the judgment seat belongs to it. No, 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 papacy, you're wrong. All judgment belongs to the Son. But the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion, papal dominion, to consume and to destroy it to the end. Daniel 7.26. This is a reference to the little horn power, the papacy, whose dominion will be taken away. Daniel 7. 
13 and 14, And I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like a son of man come with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. This is not the coming of the Lord. This is something totally different. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So the coronation takes place in heaven. Jesus takes off his priestly robe and he puts on his kingly robe. Probation ends and then plagues come upon this earth and after that, the Lord comes again. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. Revelation 22, 12. The Bible says there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. Daniel 12, 1. So in this time, after this close of probation, there will be a terrible time of trouble. Plagues will fall. We'll go into the details of that uh, later. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Internalize these promises. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. This is the biblical story. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. It is worth it to follow the Lord even though it looks improbable and it looks like we are in trouble on this planet, this is the hope. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Psalms 91 verse 10. Isn't that a great promise? So all mayhem is going to break loose on this planet, but you have nothing to fear if you are in Christ. Now, when Jesus comes again, it's called the Battle of Armageddon. What does the world teach about the Battle of Armageddon? They can say there's a, going to be a war in the Middle East, and uh, first they had the Turks, and when the Turks weren't powerful enough anymore, then they had the Russians, and the Russians are going to come, and they're going to fight, and everybody's going to meet in this valley, Armageddon, in the valley of Megiddo, and there's going to be a mighty war, and that then the kingdom will be built up on, on earth. Question. Is it in harmony with what we've just read? We've read that when the Lord comes, what happens to every city on the entire earth? It's flattened. That's what the Bible says. Every city is flattened. Would that include earthly Jerusalem, perhaps? Obviously, yes. The earthly Jerusalem is going to go. What was the blessed hope of Abraham. What was he waiting for? An earthly Jerusalem or was he waiting for a heavenly one? He was waiting for a heavenly one. By the way, who's building that city? I've gone to prepare a place for you. So, what is this battle of Armageddon? Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Revelation 16, 16. The Greek word for place is topos. And topos has a literal meaning as well as a metaphorical meaning. So the latter means a state of mind. So you can have a state of mind that will lead to something. So Satan will induce a state of mind in the people of the world that will compel them to seek the death of those who refuse to obey their dictates. Does that make sense? So topos is state of mind. <coughs> Joel calls it the valley of Jehoshaphat. Okay. Zechariah states that the nations will be gathered to Jerusalem, meaning that they will fight against God's people. Now, either the one or the other. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Joel 3.2. I will gather all nations to Jerusalem to fight against them. Zechariah 14.2. Is the Bible contradicting itself? I don't think so. You see, what the Bible is doing here, it's describing a typology. At the valley of Jehoshaphat, 
That is where God intervened and fought on behalf of the children of God. Jerusalem is a type of God's people. God will intervene and fight on behalf of God's people. Who destroys the wicked one with the brightness of his coming? Jesus. Is it the Russians? No. It says the Lord will destroy him with the brightness of his coming and not some antichrist power that will be overcome somewhere in the Middle East. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Revelation 16, 12. Oh, that's the Russians. Oh, no, that's the Turks or whatever they wanted it to do. But it's not in harmony with the rest of the Bible. Now here is the actual valley and up there Ahab had his... Uh, Fortress, this was one of the troughs that the horses were tied to where they could feed or drink or do whatever. Water systems were up there. That's where the great wars were fought. So this valley of Megiddo is a very interesting place. And when you are in the valley of Megiddo, there is one mount that seems prominent, and that's Carmel. And at Carmel, there was a decision where Elijah said, choose thee this day whom you will serve. It's the valley of decision. That's where it is. Decide for the one or the other. Let us come near together for judgment. Who raised up the righteous one from the east? Called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword, and as a driven stubble to his bow, Isaiah 41, 1 and 2. What is Isaiah implying here? Who is this king of the east? It's the Messiah, it's Jesus. Yes, it's the Messiah. Are we absolutely sure? Let's have a look. Here is Ezekiel 43, 1 and 2. Afterwards he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh towards the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, Who's he coming with? He's coming with all his angels and he's coming with the glory of the Father as well and his glory. And his voice was like the noise of many waters and the earth shined with his glory. So who are these kings from the east that are coming? Jesus and his angels. Jesus and his angels. That's the only harmony that you can find Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all. There's not going to be no literal Armageddon with all the nations of the world gathered in a tiny little valley. They wouldn't fit in there in the first place. And to convict all the ungodly of their works of ungodliness which they have ungodly wrought and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. That's what's going to happen. And he had been clothed in a garment dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven. Are we getting the picture? What war is this going to be? It's going to be a heavenly war, heavenly intervention. The armies of heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So this war is God intervening. So Armageddon, the mountain of decision, here on this earth is when Christ intervenes on behalf of his people. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, so that with it he should strike the nations, and he will shepherd them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the wine of the anger and of the wrath of Almighty God. Destruction. And the great city, which city is this? Babylon. There's a spiritual Babylon, all of them come together, came to be in three parts. So what's going to happen to Babylon? When they see the chips are down, this alliance between the dragon powers and the beast power and the false prophet power, what's going to happen to that? It's going to fall apart. It's going to disintegrate. And the cities of the nations fell. And the great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the anger of his wrath. This whole alliance 
This confederacy of secrecy and lies is going to be exposed for what it is, and it's going to fall apart. And voices and thunders and lightning occurred, and there was a great earthquake, such as has not been since men were on the earth, so mighty and so great an earthquake, Revelation 16, 18. So the carpet's going to be pulled out from under every city. <laughs> and the cities of the nations fell. And every island fled away. That's an interesting one. And the mountains were not found, so the mountains are going to go <laughs> down. This earthquake's going to do something. And the islands are going to disappear. Two possibilities. Either the islands go glue, 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 glue. Or else what? The continents shift together and everything is moved to one side. Two possibilities. I don't know which. Maybe even third and fourth one. And then a great hail, that's the seventh plague, as the size of a talent, that's about J big blocks of ice, came down out of heaven on men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague of it was exceeding great. They don't honor God because these people that are struck by this final plague, they don't acknowledge Him, so they blaspheme. Have you entered into the storehouses of snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have kept for the time of trouble against the day of battle and war? Job 38, 22, 23. Armageddon is a war fought by God using earthquake, and hail to destroy those who destroy, want to destroy God's people. Revelation 6, 17, And the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? The beast, Catholicism, was taken, and with him the false prophet was taken. The two were thrown alive into the lake of burning fire with brimstone. And the rest, who's that? Kings of the earth, the merchants, all the others, were slain by the sword of him who sat on the horse, it proceeding out of his mouth. Okay, who's missing in the triad up there? The dragon's not there. The dragon is the demonic forces that have gathered the people into all the spiritualistic union. He's not there. The beast, Catholicism, and fallen apostate Protestantism that went into alliance, and all the Babylonian forces are destroyed. But the demonic forces, they remain. Even so, the Lord God Almighty, true and righteous, are your judgments. Revelation 16, verse 7. The rest of the dead, remember, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, Revelation 25. Uh, by the way, this looks kind of strange. This is the first resurrection. You must remember that Revelation is written as a chiasm, and we're actually reading backwards, so the ideas are back to front. The rest of the dead are not alive, but blessed and holy are those that had passed in part in the first resurrection. The description is reversed. So the living wicked die, the dead wicked remain dead a thousand years, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. So the righteous go up to heaven, the dead righteous, the living righteous, translated at the same time, up they go, the rest are slain. So the righteous dead raised together with the righteous living, they are translated and meet the Lord in the air. Is that biblical? Okay. And there they spend their next times with God. What are they going to do? Well, we'll have to see. It shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Isaiah 25 verse 9. Either you belong in the group that rejoices, or you belong in the group that weeps and wails. 2 Timothy 1, 12. For I know whom I have believed, 
and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against what? That day. What day are they always talking about? The coming of Christ. There is no such thing as when you die, you go to heaven. Or when you die, you go to hell. When you die, you're in your grave. When you are resurrected, you either are in the resurrection of life or you are in the resurrection of death. One of the two. Now we're going to continue this story and we'll see the greater picture of what's going to happen in the millennium. What is the story about hell? We're going to deal with that in great detail. Does it exist? Does it not exist? And then we're going to see what's going to happen in the final reconstruction of the kingdom of God. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit amazingdiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.